Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Rounds, and I am your host, Chris Algieri. Today we'll be speaking about fighting on the road, dealing with the unknown, getting out of your comfort zone, and battling on foreign territory. Two veterans of this and two of the best who've ever done it, we have dazzling Darren Barker and Carl the Cobra Frotch, two men who are very familiar with fighting on the road. Hey Carl, so how, how have you uh, have you making out in all this? Yeah, all good, Chris. Nice to see you, mate. Good to see you too, man. Yeah, I'm all right, mate. I'm good. I've got my let me turn these. I've got my kiddies. I've got my kiddies, and it's um, it's tough homeschooling because mm -hmm. they don't want to. They don't want to learn at home. They want to go outside and play. And obviously, they don't want to be taught by the parents. And we're not qualified teachers, so I'm like, why can't he work out what four times nine is when he knows the times table? So I don't know. It's made me realise how little school do for them. Actually, school actually is just for me, as far as I'm concerned, it's just like daycare, daycare and indoctrination. That's all school is. But you know, it's getting through it, getting through the work. I've got two daughters as well, a six-year-old, no, seven-year-old now. She turned seven at the beginning of May, and um, and a four-year-old. So. With all three of them in the house, the four-year-old's not at school. She's just like at nursery. So she's causing chaos at home now. She's not at nursery. She needs full attention. And then the nine-year-old and the seven-year-old, boy and girl, they're at school, but different classes. So it's just hard work, mate. It's fucking aggro. We've been looking forward to another break, which is this, there's a, I think there's a week May bank holiday, which we're in. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I'm just, I'm just in my, um, I've got a big garden at the back of my house. I've been doing building works. I've still got a big plot going up in, um, in Mapley Park, which is quite an affluent area in Nottingham, building a really nice place there. And I've also got 15 apartments now, just been approved for planning, so that well, I'll make a start on that soon. The building game's kind of back up and running. The, the construction, um, the building merchants are open, so we can get materials now. So we're going to start digging footings and laying down bits and bobs and make a start on the building work. So I'm busy Stay, enough. I'm staying busy. Darren, I hope yeah. you're taking notes over there. You were saying that you were, you were a little bored in all this. This guy is uh, staying quite busy. Yeah, you got any jobs, Carl? It's boring. Um, yeah, I need some. I've got a few trenches need digging. You're good on the shovel, aren't you? Seen them guns. Yeah, okay. Still got it. Well, so uh, today, so we're, you know, we're going to talk a lot, a little bit about, um, you know, battling on the road, you know, going on the road and, and, and having big fights. Neither of you are a stranger to, to having big fights while, while traveling. Um, I mean, Carl, I, I, most of your big fights before the last few have, have been uh, abroad or, or, or on the road. So definitely no stranger. You know, Darren, yourself, you know, two of your, your biggest fights were, were, in, were stateside at Atlantic yeah. City. So maybe if, uh, Darren, you could start us off, just kind of talk to us about that process, you know, getting, getting your big shot and finding out that it's going to be somewhere you've never been, something foreign, and what it's like in terms of, preparing for that not only mentally but also physically training in a new place training in a new state getting yeah. how early do you get there um how does it work with the rest of your team just kind of give a little insight into that whole process which well, do, do you know for me for me and i think Cole will be the same well, i know Cole will be the same when we when we box for england as as amateurs you do an awful lot of traveling uh then so mm -hmm. going out to the states fast forward whatever many years 10 years five years whatever it was it didn't, it wasn't alien to me. You know, I was used to traveling, going to some real hostile countries uh, and having to perform. And it, it, in some respects, I would say the amateur game was harder because you, you, you could, you know, if you win a gold medal, you get to the final, you're probably having four or five fights. So you've got four or five different opponents, mm -hmm. uh, you know, 
extremely good fighters. So I think that those experiences helped me a lot. Uh, I've done a lot of sparring uh, abroad uh, as well, which held me in good stead. Uh, and obviously being with Carl, I guess, in the same sort of uh, promotional stable, um, watching him and watching others go out to the States and actually going, I went to LA, Carl was supposed to fight when Howard Eastman fought Bernard Hopkins. Uh, so I got, I was there throughout the build up and that held me in good stead. Um, but, uh, you know, it was always a dream of mine to go to, go to the States and, and fight. Uh, but to win a title over there was just, was epic. Um, I think both times the Martinez and the Daniel Gill fight, we, I think we went out two weeks before. Mm-hmm. Um, also went to Canada to defend my Commonwealth title. And that was sort of edging towards the West Coast. So we, I think we left a little, a little longer, almost three weeks. But um, yeah, like, it wasn't, like I say, I, I didn't feel under pressure. I wasn't more nervous being in the States or being abroad. And I think a big part of that is, like I say, that experience I had as an amateur. Makes sense. Carl, and, and you, I actually I see the picture of you behind you. I can tell that's the uh, Jermaine Taylor fight, one of, one of my favorite fights, an amazing, amazing performance. And that was a huge fight on the road as well. What, what was that experience specifically, you know, leading up to that fight? And, uh, and, and that was kind of really a breakout fight for, for you to the American fans. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. Um, I enjoyed, kind of enjoyed being on the road. Like Darren Barker said there, when we boxed for England, we actually, um, we sort of go, we, we go into hostile environments and we, we fight top fighters back to back. So multi-nations tournaments, we fight Monday, Tuesday, you might have Wednesday, I think you fight Thursday. If you, if you make it that deep into the tournament, you fight again. So when I defended my first world title, which was a WBC, I beat against John Pascal, mm-hmm. um, in Nottingham, in my hometown. My first defence to be on the road, that was a Foxwoods Resort Casino in Connecticut. Um, I was nervous about it all. Not, not so much about travelling away and boxing abroad, but more about Jermaine Taylor, former undisputed middleweight champion. And I saw him get out of this stretch limousine at the press conference when I got to New York. And he just looked like the Don. He had a nice suit on. He looked really crisp and clean. And he looked really... He just looked... He looked really like polished and I was he looked the part <laughs> he looked oh, the, yeah, part. Look the part i thought this jermaine taylor look with his, he's got an umbrella as well because it's raining a little bit he's got this smart umbrella and i was just there with my with my one true saxon hoodie or my lonsdale hoodie on my t-shirt thinking do i even belong here to be honest um, so it's quite a daunting thing for me and i was always quite nervous and apprehensive as a fighter as a an amateur and then as a professional not as much but still i mean everyone feels nervous but i was always a bit unsure of myself and that was my first world title defeat. So I'd just become a new champion with a vacant title. So I should have fought Joe Calzaghe, but I didn't. Darren Barker's mate. And um, I fought Pascal instead, won the title, but still didn't know if I felt I belonged at world level. So I went mm-hmm. over to America to fight Jermaine Taylor. And um, I, trained in the, I trained in Niagara-on-the-Lake, which is um, in Canada. Lovely, lovely resort. Exactly where I went for the Martinez fight. Amazing place. And I was Beautiful. still... I was still under Mick Hennessy at the time. So a guy called Adam Harris, a Canadian, is a, a great bloke. I still keep in touch with him. He's Canadian. And um, I can remember being at the, the Niagara-on-the-Lake. I don't, I don't know what the resort was. I can't remember the name of the resort. But it was a fantastic place, like a big hell spot. And then there was a gym. don't know what the gym was, but it was a big gym. Very, very adequate, more than adequate for what we needed. 
And John Pascal, the guy I beat for the world title, was, was my chief sparring partner for the last two weeks before we moved over to... Because um, Connecticut's like North, North America, right? Correct, yeah, it's northeast. Like on the coast, yeah, on the coast of Canada, northeast, on the coast of Canada. So it wasn't far away. So we was in Niagara on the lake right up until a week before going over to Connecticut. And Jean Pascal and his big brother were both trying to beat me up in sparring. So I had some great sparring. And then um, obviously went over to Connecticut and had that week build up. That was actually my now wife, Rachel, who's my wife. We got married last year. Um, it was her first ever boxing match with me, first fight she ever went to. Wow. And, and what an amazing fight to be involved with. Like when I got knocked down in round three, like when I spoke to her after, she was like, oh, is, it, is this supposed to happen? What's, <laughs> what's going on? Is that bad news or is it, will it be okay? So she didn't have a clue. And looking back on that fight now, because it was like 10 year anniversary or that's no, 12 year anniversary. Um, yeah, coming up this month, correct? That's, no, that's right around. No, it was April. It was April. Just oh, last, okay. So um, looking back on that now, how naive I was and how sort of not inexperienced, but inexperienced at world level and just mm -hmm. putting all my trust in Rob McCracken and my fitness and, you know, my, my own ability and my, my refusal to quit in that fight came through. I mean, I'm very stubborn as a person. I'm very very competitive by nature, whether I'm playing table tennis or tennis with my brother or golf, I like to win. Or, or whether I'm sparring, which Darren Barker knows. If When we spar, and, and Barker likes to spar, every professional boxer likes to spar and feel that they've came out of the spar a Correct. winner Correct. rather than they've just been beat up. Because when I used to spar with Howard Eastman, I used to get beat up early on. He used to hit me with the right hands and I used to think, oh, bloody hell, they hurt. And he used to control me with a jab and he was so experienced and in control of the spar early on when I first turned professional. Um, I, I didn't think I was good enough to be a top pro. I just thought I'll probably win a British title. I'll be okay at that level. But you slowly but surely get better. I mean, me and Darren Barker used to spar. It was always competitive. And he, he always says he hated sparring me because I used to take liberties. I was bigger than him. I was super middleweight. He was middleweight. But I used to hate sparring Darren because Darren was so <laughs> skillful. He was mm. skillful with his jab. He could yep. punch when he set his feet. He'd always answer back. And he got that determination, which you saw when he won the title, the RBF against De Gale, Dominic Gill. Um, you saw the grit and determination that he has. And Do you remember the think, spa before um, you fought Pascal? I can remember every, every spa with you. Go on, which in, one? In, in, uh, County, where was it? In County Mayo in Ireland. County Mayo, Castle and I just, in Ireland. Like, Cole was firing on all cylinders, just absolutely flying. You know, it was 12-round 12 12 round fit, ready for his first world title fight. Uh, and I went over there, did some sparring, and... Uh, um, We'd been doing eight, ten rounds. And one day, I think we, I woke up. We were slated to do like again eight or ten rounds. And I just weren't feeling it. I just, I just didn't fancy it this morning. So after three rounds, uh, the third round, I just unloaded. I threw. I just didn't stop throwing punches for three minutes. I got back to the corner and I went to my trainer Tony Sims. I've been toning my hands out a little bit. Just call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> Cole got out of the ring and went, "You Judas me. You Judas me." <laughs> Absolutely fuming. That, <laughs> before you got there, I was with that Louis Garcia, who was That's a top it. amateur from Cuba. Mm -hmm. And he was giving me a real difficult spar. Then when Darren Barker turned up, it, the spar wasn't much easier because Darren could last longer. Darren could do six, eight rounds where um, Garcia would run out of steam after about four or five rounds and I'd start to back him up and start to catch him. But we had some really good spars in, Castle, in, in County Mayo. And I think I learned so much sparring Darren that I had to box a move, use my jab, counterpunch, because you have to be sharp against, against Darren. At that particular morning, I can remember, because you jumped in, round one and two was good. Round three, you just properly stuck it on me. So I was defending, <laughs> backing up, getting hit with everything. And mm -hmm. I thought to myself, bloody hell, he can't keep this pace up, surely. 
and I went back to the corner, and obviously he didn't come out for round four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can re I can remember that, Darren. But I'll give you that one. That's fair enough. Darren gave you the I'll give you I'll give you as good as I can for as long as I can. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but Darren, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about you know um, you know Carl mentioned how it was like seeing Jermaine Taylor step out of that limousine in New York City and 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 having that that vision of like wow this 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 guy's the goods um, and then questioning yourself do I belong here? Um, it, it, that does remind me a little bit of the buildup of, of the Sergio Martinez fight when you yeah. fought him. He was the baddest man at middleweight and someone that. People just did not want to fight. I was at that Paul Williams fight when he knocked him out with one punch. Um, absolutely uh, tremendous, tremendous fighter at the time. And uh, like I said, a guy that was was often avoided. And you were you were coming over first time fighting in the states, and that was your opponent. What was that like being around that media attention and yeah. leading up to that kind of fight? Yeah, it was it was nerve wracking. It, it was. I remember flying to New York with Eddie Hearn. We was in and out. We literally spent one night there uh, for the press conference. Uh, and you know, to an extent, I, I, I seem to remember the Americans almost laughing and sniggering at me, uh, you know, that I showed any confidence. You know, though I was unbeaten, I was European champion. I just hadn't fought anybody. Um, I was confident in my own ability, but it was the unknown. I just didn't know if I could. Though I'd sparred with Cole, you know, we'd done hundreds of rounds, uh, like with Cole, an elite level fighter. But it, it's still, it's sparring. Um, and you can only gauge so much, but I knew I was capable of uh, of being in there with elite level fighters, but I just didn't quite understand where I was at at the time. And you know, I don't really have any regrets when I look back at my career. Um, but I think I do have a slight regret when I think back at that fight because I just think if I would have believed in myself a little more, I probably would have just been slightly more aggressive. Not you know, I wouldn't have been stupid but I just would have forced the the action a bit more uh, and potentially could have caused a, a huge upset I'm not saying I, I could you know potentially would have still lost anyway but I just kind of wish I would have give it a bit more but the whole the whole build-up was just it was I, I just felt like this is what I was doing boxing this is why I chose to become a boxer you know I'm on top of a, you know this huge skyscraper in New York doing the press conference in blistering heat just thinking this is what it's all about this is you know I've made it um uh it, it, it was great a funny story actually I remember walking uh to the press conference with with Eddie Hearn and we're walking I don't know Fifth Avenue or something like that and we walked past the shop and there was a, a mannequin with these bright green trousers and Eddie said to me you should buy those trousers for a laugh and wear them at the press conference and I went, no, you've got to be joking. I wouldn't be seen dead in them. Got to the press conference, and Martinez was wearing the exact <laughs> trousers. I'm telling you. Not surprised. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was funny. But, yeah, it was just the, the, the whole build-up, the whole, you know, like I said before, being with Carl on certain camps and fights he'd been on in the States, it was just, I was so eager to have a taste of it for myself. And, uh, it was, you know, it was like a dream come true. And let's not take away from, from your performance in that fight. That was the first time that I had actually seen you fight, Darren, was yeah. the Sergio Martinez fight. And you fought a brilliant fight. Um, exactly oh, the way that Carl was explaining your style in the gym and in sparring was what you gave to Sergio. You were all mm -hmm. over him, keeping your hands on him, keeping busy, um, boxing well behind your jab, and just keeping him so off balance. Uh, it was yeah. a, I thought it was a really, really great performance. Cheers. Um, you know, even, even the way it did turn out. So. It, it, look, it, going into that fight, the game plan was to be aggressive. 
mm-hmm. uh, but be smart. Don't throw too many shots early on. Uh, watch out for for his big shots because, uh, like you say, that the Paul Williams fight that that it, during the whole camp that was the only clip I kept seeing. Constantly mm-hmm. seeing Paul Williams get knocked out, so um, it was a bit nerve wracking. But another thing with me, um, I, I boxed at uh, an amateur boxing club in the East End of London, Repton, and there was there must have been something in the water there because they just tur- they they churned out so many. Uh, top quality southpaws. Um, so I had lots of good southpaw sparring. Um, and I just, I, I just had a good knack with southpaws. I was never phased or worried about fighting southpaws. So I knew I'd be, um, I'd be able to compete with him. But anyway, it, look, it was a great experience and an experience that was massively valuable to me going on to the Gill fight. Uh, I think just it being the second time round, you know, what, it certainly wasn't alien to me then. Just it, you know, it wasn't my first weigh-in. It wasn't my first press conference. You know, it wasn't the first time in the ring in the states. It was just I, I felt, I felt like I belonged, and it was all, you know, it was bittersweet as well. I guess going back to Atlantic City uh, and winning the title there. Beautiful. Let's let's switch gears a little bit and talk about um, some of the unforeseen things that can happen on the road. And Carl, I want to kick this one to you and and talk a little bit about. Uh, the European ash cloud and and the fight with um, Mikkel Kessler that was going to be in, in Finland that a week before the fight, because of, of the ash cloud and, and the volcanic eruptions that were going on, that you didn't expect the fight to happen at all. So what, no, exactly. what, what was that like in terms of the mental preparation of preparing for a fight, preparing for a world title fight, a massive fight, and then it potentially being off, but then back on? Yeah, well, it was it was a bit of a disaster for me because I woke up Monday morning and on Monday, that's when I do my last um, long run. I want to say long, only still only three miles on a Monday. Mm-hmm. But that's it's not it's not sprinting and it's not hill sprints or anything. It's just it's just a nice three mile run, but sharp. So I run I run it quite quick. I, I do it in under twenty minutes. I'd have to check my my diaries. Good time. The fastest ever three miler is something like just under nineteen minutes. Um, so it was a fast three-mile run on the Monday. And on the Monday, this particular fight, when I was supposed to fight Kessler, I spoke to McCracken, Rob McCracken, my coach, and I said, the flights are still cancelled. Still no, still no further forward with this ash cloud in terms of opening up the flights. So it looks like we're not going. He says, I know. He says, pain in the arse, can't believe it. I've done all the training. What we're going to do? He says, um, we'll see. We can still go out there Wednesday if we have to, but ideally... So I went and did my run, and I can remember I did it in like 22 minutes. I was like half-hearted running. Wait, Carl, real quick. That Wednesday, the Wednesday of fight week. So three days before the fight. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so, so yeah. on that Monday, I did the run. And then he said, we could probably mm-hmm. go Wednesday. And, and sure enough, on Wednesday, they sent... Is it the Wednesday or the Thursday? But they sent a private jet, the Salons, Calais and Nissa Salons. I think they was always going to do that. But they waited mm-hmm. until Wednesday. So I can remember on the Tuesday when I thought flights are definitely cancelled. You turn Sky News on and all the all the all the all the airlines are grounded. I'm definitely not going to to Herning in Denmark, and the American broadcasters aren't going to be able to come over from the other side of the Atlantic either. So I thought the fight's definitely off. So we had a barbecue in my back garden. I had a couple of cans of Guinness. It was like I mean I don't drink much, but I'm drinking alcohol yeah. that week. I don't drink for twelve weeks. And I don't drink much anyway. So a couple of cans of Guinness for me. I'm like oh I can tell I've had a drink. I'm up to about 12 stone 10, and I, I do the weight quite easy. But anyway, Wednesday, Mick Hennessy rings me, right, they're sending a, they're sending a plane to, um, 
to East Midlands Airport, which is half an hour from where I live. It's two o'clock flight. I'm like, For fuck's sake, really? We've got to go. Or is it definitely on? So I was kind of jumping on this private jet and, and it sounds glamorous, but it was nothing glamorous about this private jet. Let me tell you, it was four seats or five seats. We sat on there, me, Rob McCracken, uh, my wife and Pat Sheen from the sun. And it was really low, this plane, just above the trees. And it was bumpy all the way. Rob McCracken hates heights. He won't mind me telling you. He's got a fear of heights. It was white all the way. Didn't say a word. <laughs> he was hanging on to the side of the seat, looking at me. I'm looking at him. I'm winding him up saying, I think we're banging trouble here. You know, there's planes all over the place. I think we're going down. Anyway, we got there. Then I jumped into um, like a rally sports car. Um, which they had lined up for me. They got my adrenaline really up. It was like an Evolution 6 sports um, rally car, ran a track, did a few laps of the track while they filmed a few bits. So then we're off to the hotel. So I'm full of adrenaline. I've just flew in. I'm overweight. And I'm like, bloody hell, my feet are just on the ground now. Wednesday night going to bed, jumped on the scales, 12 stone 9. I've told Rob since, but I told him that I was 12 stone 4, 12 5. And um, so what I did was I sat in a, a red hot bathtub and sweated for about two or three hours, kept filling the water up, kept it, keeping it hot, put a couple of towels over my head, and I'm sweating, and I've took some weight off. Then on the Thursday, didn't eat anything, took more weight off. So basically, I crashed the weight, which I never do. So come the weigh-in on the Friday, I just felt really tired and weak, and probably how Darren Barker and most professionals feel at the weigh-in. I never used to struggle at the weight, you see. Mm. That was the first time I've ever took weight off. And I don't want the listeners to think that this is an excuse, because... On the night, I thought that I was fit enough and tough enough and strong enough. And I had a great 12 rounds with Mikel Kessler as a top fighter. And on the night, I thought I got beat. I, I just didn't think I did enough, especially with it being in Denmark. But going over there under the ash cloud on the Wednesday fight week um, of being overweight and, and in my head switching off and then having to switch back on, it was horrible. It wasn't ideal. And it ended with me losing on points against, against the top fighter. But... I'm a big believer in things happen for a reason. You learn a lot in, in boxing. You don't, you don't win and lose, you win and learn. So if you lose, you learn something about yourself and you learn how to come back. And in my very next fight, I fought Arthur Abraham for the Beautiful very same title, the WBC title, because I was in the, um, I was in the um, Super 6 World Boxing Classic. So that kept me, that kept my spirits high and kept me, you know, because I was really upset when I lost that fight and I was really mentally dejected and, like really down for a, for a long time. And then when I realised that Mikel Kester's now retired because he's injured from the fight, he, he had a bad cut above his eye mm-hmm. and his eye was a bit dodgy. I think his muscle was damaged. So the WBC title was back up for grabs back in the tournament in my very next fight against Arthur Abraham. Um, so that, that, gave me, that boosted my spirits and got me going again. So the loss didn't feel as bad as, say, when I lost to Andre Ward. That felt like a bad loss. I never got going. When Darren Barker said he never got going against Sergio Martinez, I think that's because probably because he was a little bit unsure of himself. Probably mm. going into that fight thinking, I'm fighting a top fighter here who can punch. Just knocked out um, Paul Williams in a bad knockout. And he's thinking to himself, it's all right being aggressive, but if I walk onto one of them. So you get in the ring before that bell goes and you're a bit unsure and you're a bit standoffish. And I was like, that with Ward. I'm not saying the result would have been any different. Andre Ward's a fantastic fighter, very mm. skillful, very fast, hard to hit impossible mm-hmm. to land and he's good with his jab as well so I'm not saying it would have been any different but I can remember getting out of the fight thinking I had a decent round 10 11 and 12 and I was getting into it and I thought why didn't I start earlier why didn't I get on with it why didn't I believe in myself why didn't I throw more punches but that's what we do when we lose we try and look for reasons why we lost and um, yeah the volcanic ash cloud was no excuse for losing to Mikel Kessler but it was one of my stories for fighting away from home that, that's a real real bad preparation a bad final 
prep for a, for a massive fight, you know, to fly over there late, so late and overweight and then jump in the ring with a, a tough guy like Mikel Kessler. Yeah, that, that's one of the things about fighting the road and why fighters don't like to do it is because of the unknown. Situations like that can occur and kind of throw off everything you got going. Like you said, thinking about the fight, not, th- not thinking about the fight and having to turn back on is something that is so difficult for people to understand. Um, you're dialed in for 12 weeks and then right before you have to shut it down. A uh, very difficult thing to come back from. But um, that Abraham fight, absolutely tremendous performance. Abraham at that time was one of the most dangerous punchers in the world. Um, a guy that you have to be dialed in on for 12 full rounds. Great, great performance there. 100%. And in that fight, I showed, I showed why I won two ABA titles and a medal in the World Championships. A lot of people look at myself and say, Carl Frotch is just, uh, just super Batman. fit and tough. And right. He's a warmonger. He stands in front of you, take a load of shots to land one. But actually, you don't, you don't win ABA titles and medals for England if you can't box a little bit, you mm-hmm. know? And in that fight against Abraham, I didn't want to get hit. I, was, I wasn't scared, but I was concerned about getting hit with his big yeah. power punch. I see him knock out Jermaine Taylor. They give him a brain bleed and injured him. And I thought to myself, bloody hell, he's got a massive knockout ratio. So the plan going into that fight was to just box and move and unload punches. When he stands there with a tight high guard, mm-hmm. you've basically got a license to throw six punches. Because yeah. he can't really hit you back. He's mm-hmm. not in a position to punch from there. So right. I just four to the head, two round the body, as he drops his gloves, two more back on the head. So seven, eight punch combinations in bursts throughout the rounds. And then I'd just get on my back foot and use my jab because he was too short for me. So mm-hmm. that was one of my best performances, but in many ways, one of my easiest performances, but not in any disrespect for, for Abraham. But the fact that I was so fit and conditioned for 12 rounds and um, I believed in myself and I was so determined after losing to Kessler, I think that was kind of one of my flawless victories where I can look back and say, you know what, that was probably one of the perfect performances that as a fighter I put on, even better than the Lucian Butte one. Because the Butte one, I took a lot of punches coming in. I was walking into his left cross mm-hmm. to get mine off. And that was a bit of a warmonger type, type of win. But the Abraham win was, um, by my standards, a boxing masterclass. Because Darren Bark used to outbox me all the time in sparring. And it's that kind of boxing lessons I used to get that, that gets me ready for fights like that because you've got to be quick on your counterpunch. You've got to be sharp on your jab. You've got to throw lots of fainting. And that's what, that's what the spine does. So, um, yeah, that's the, that's the Kester fight and the Abraham fight both, yeah. both wrapped up for you there. Speaking of, uh, of, of being in supreme condition and, and believing in yourself, uh, Darren, your fight with, with uh, David Gill when you, when you did win the IBF world title and um, you had to stay busy, be on top of him, and then to deal with the knockdown, which was a brutal body shot. And to come back from that shows not only supreme conditioning, but also tremendous heart. Maybe talk a little bit about that, the preparation for that fight, the mindset, how that was different mentally for you than the Sergio Martinez fight. Yeah. Well, again, you know, it was Atlantic City. It wasn't alien to me. I'd been there, I'd done it, uh, and, and I was driven to to right that wrong. You know, I, I wanted to come away from the States, Atlantic City, with the world title. Um, the game plan was quite similar. It was uh, to be aggressive uh, uh, on the front foot, but be, be smart, hold the centre of the ring and, and, you know, work well behind the jab. But it wasn't till I got in there with Daniel Gill, I, I realised how awkward he was. He had a good knack of getting out of range and I just, uh, I was falling short with some of my shots. So, I quickly adopted a different game plan, which was just to get on his chest, uh, to kind of nullify that the, the good footwork he had, uh, get on him and, and just try and outwork him. I mean, I'd been suffering a lot with injuries. I had two uh, hip operations. Um, 
but for that fight, I'd done a lot of swimming. My, my preparation was, was brilliant. So I knew I could, um, to the sum, so a lot of people didn't think I'd be able to outwork Daniel Gill because that, that's what he's good at. But I knew I was fit enough to do it. And to be honest, that the moment I got knocked down with the sixth, uh, in the sixth round, um, a lot of people know that my brother passed away. He was a very good fighter. And I was just, it was, it Look, if I if I would have lost that fight, that would have been the end of my career. I never would have fought ever again, and there would have been there would have been a, a box that hadn't been ticked. You know, I achieved everything else, but there would have been one thing missing, and it would have it would have eaten away at me. I think uh, later on in life, so I was just so prepared to give give it everything and leave everything in the ring that night. That you know, a body shot was never going to keep me down. And um, Fast forward to the 12th round and hearing Michael Buffer say, and, and you know, and the new just is just, you know, uh, I still can't believe it. Like, I still can't believe, you know, though Cole uh, and these other legends of the sport achieve a, a lot more than I did, numerous weight world titles, numerous world titles, I still set, I, I still achieved what I set out to do. You know, I still, I, I become a world champion. And when we go to different, uh, functions. Uh, there, there's two shows that you go to in England. There's the Boxing Riot, Boxing Writers Dinner that's on a Monday night and there's the British Boxing Board uh, of Control Awards that is in a big hotel. And um, everyone's announced in the room. You get, uh, you know, all the, the great fighters in attendance. And at the end of that uh, presentation, they, they announce the world champions in the room. And I still can't believe that I'm in that group of fighter, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, uh, uh, you know, like I, I, again, I can't express what it means to me that I can say I was a world champion. You know, it just, just crazy. Like I said, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm in the uh, in Joe Cal, uh, Joe Calzaghe, Cole Frotches, uh, or, uh, or that you know, their sort of um, ilk. But still, yeah. But if you never won that world title, though, you could never say you was a world champion. So I totally yeah. understand what that means to you. To be the IBF, oh, incredible! Such, such an emphatic fight, rather. It wasn't. It wasn't a gimme, was it? It was. A, it was a dramatic nah. fight. You got put down, and everyone thought you don't quite belong at this level. When you go down, people will look and say, "Oh, there you go, look, Barker don't really belong here. He's yeah. down." But to climb off the floor and win in the manner in which you did in a close fight that. You deserve to win. It was, there was no dispute in the decision. You won mm. the fight, but it, mm. if it had gone either way, you might have gone, well, he was unlucky there. But to win that the way you won it, mate, you should be very proud of that. And oh, well, don't I, say I, that you don't belong in certain people's levels because and, you had a fantastic I appreciate it. You know, world, for me, you became a world champion. Yeah, for me, you know, I think there was a lot of question marks over my toughness. But, mm. you know, you, you'd know Cole and Tony and Rob McCracken knew that I was tough. You know, you can't be doing 12 rounds with Cole, uh, Cole yeah. Frotch and this year you know, you're tough. You you can't. So I, I always knew that there was there was a fight out there for me to show to everyone that I was I was mentally and physically tough and you know I'm and, just and you beat a champion. You didn't you beat the guy yeah. defending his belt. It wasn't a vacant title. It wasn't it wasn't a fight that was set up for you. Um you know it was a difficult difficult opposition for yeah. sure. And David Gill was is a is a very was was a very that's good a, fighter. That's a really so. valid point because there are champions out there that, that haven't actually taken a title off a champion or beat a champion for that belt, which is hard to do. Very hard. There's fighters out there that have become world champion, not actually beating a champion and it means a lot to do it the way you did it. Cheers. Agreed. Agreed. Carl, let's uh, let's let's talk about the um, uh, the the fights over in England. You actually, you know, you came back to 
to fighting at home. Uh, the Lucien Butte fight, which was, again, I, at the time, Lucien Butte, I remember watching him and, and uh, here stateside and being like, wow, this guy is uh, a monster. Uh, southpaw, knocking everybody out, knocking guys out with body shots, with head shots. Absolutely dangerous, dangerous guy. Um, you set up, you get that fight. He comes to you. Um, it is a really a, a resurgence of, 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 of British boxing there for you to do that. Open, open up the floodgates for, for what later comes in, in, in uh, the fights with Groves. Uh, speak a little bit about you know, that fight and what that meant for, for the rest of your career. Well, we spoke about this yesterday on my um, plug alert, Frotch on Fighting podcast with Eddie Hearn yesterday. And it was, um, it was, a, it was a big turning point for, for British boxing, for Eddie for Hearn sure. at Matchroom, because he, mm -hmm. he had Kale Brook, he also had Darren Barker. But he was quite, it was quite wet behind the ears in terms of promoting. And he was new to the sport. I think he was only 30 years old or 31 years old, Eddie Hearn, when, when I had that meeting with him at the, the Institute of Sport in Sheffield, when I was, I was moving promoters from, from my old promoter. I don't even ever mention his name anymore. Um, and I moved over to, to, to Eddie Hearn. And I was thinking, I need to get back on Sky. And um, I'm not getting any television coverage in Britain. Rob McCracken said that Eddie Hearn's honest as the day is long. You can trust him. You can trust his dad, Barry Hearn. So I had a meeting with him. And, and although I did the Johnson fight, which was a tough one and quite close, mm -hmm. actually, Glenkov Johnson, and then I lost to Andre Ward, and they were shown on Sky Sports, there wasn't really big fights in terms of people didn't really see much of me. Um, didn't really see me fighting at my best. It was a bit of a... Bit of a lazy performance against Johnson, just a workmanlike performance. And then I obviously lost to Ward. So it was like, that's my resurgence back on Sky. And no one, but it, it was in America and it was early hours of the morning. So not many people would have seen it. Mm -hmm. But this fight with Lucian Butte was me coming back after a loss, fighting for an IBF world title against an unbeaten guy who's, who's beating everyone, knocking them out. And it was, it was a, it was a, it was a toss off between who's the best super middleweight in the world. Is it Andre Ward or is it Lucian Butte? Ward's just won the Super Six. Butte's unbeaten IBF champ. So really, that's the fight that should have happened. And it should have been for the Ring Magazine belt as well. But they, they thought they could come to England, come to Nottingham, because he was getting criticised for never being on the road much. He was always fighting in Canada. So they thought, you know what, we'll go over to England and we'll, 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 we'll beat Froch. We'll have easy pickings with Carl Froch. He's just lost a ward. He's getting old. He's got some silver hair coming through. I think he's finished. So they took a calculated risk. And Eddie Hearn got them over to England, which was significant for me because he boxed me in my hometown in Nottingham. I've never lost in Nottingham. Um, I've got all my schoolmates there, my best friends, all my family. And when I walk into the, into the arena, I feel like I'm unbeatable, no matter who I'm in there. Whether or not I am unbeatable, who knows? But in my head, I cannot be beat in Nottingham. So the Lucian Butte fight for me, coming back after the Super Six and losing to Ward, was a massive fight for everybody. Massive fight for me, massive fight for Eddie Hearn, massive fight for British boxing and Sky Sports. And um, yeah, the pressure was on. I wasn't 100% sure I could beat Butte, but when I watch his fight clips back and I watch him beat Brian McGee to a body shot and I watch him outbox a few people with his slick southpaw skills, there was nothing that I saw in there where I thought I could be in trouble here. I didn't think he was a massive puncher. I didn't rate his boxing ability. I thought he looked a little bit he looked a little bit like Mr. Bean, if you like. I don't want to be disrespectful or horrible, but when I look at him and when I met him and I shook his hand, I just thought, I can't lose to this geezer. He looks like yeah. a geek. <laughs> he looks like a bit of a geek. Like he's not a tough guy. He's got nothing about him where I thought. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember Robert Kraken saying to me, Look, he's coming into your hometown, coming into your city, and he thinks that he's going to come and 
beat you up in front of everybody. Just run him out of town. Just put it on him and run him out of town. Get him out of there. He called him a cheeky and he swore and he said, get him out of there. And um, I was really nervous. The ring walk coming out to No Easy Way Out, the Rocky theme tune and, and getting pumped up on the ring walk and stepping through the ropes. I was just absolutely fired up. Still, still upset about the Andre Ward loss. I got beat fair and square. I'm not saying that 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 because because of that because I lost. I lost fair and square, but I lost, and I wanted to prove to myself that I could become world champion. That I wanted to be back in Britain fighting on UK soil, and you know I was offered I was offered the same money, which wasn't big money by the way either for a world champion. It's just done what I've done in the Super Six because I earned decent money in the Super Six. Um, it was seven figures every time I boxed in the Super Six. It was six figures for the Butte fight and only just as well. So I took a massive pay cut and I could have fought a mark time fight. I could have fought a journeyman or, or just somebody just to get me back on British soil, get me back on Sky. And Eddie said, look, you're only going to earn the same money if you fight Joe Bloggs or if you fight Lucian Butte. Let's have a warm-up fight. Let's get you back in Britain. I was like, no, I've just lost the ward. I need a title. I need a world title to motivate me. Otherwise, I've kind of had enough. I don't even want to box anymore. I've got my kids. I've got two, two young kids. I'm in a position now where I'm thinking I'm financially in a good position as well. Do I need this fight? So I said to Eddie, look, let's get the world title. And I thought, if I get beat, if I go out, I've gone out on the top and there's no easy way out. Hence the ring tune, no easy way out, the Rocky Anthem. And everything just felt right. And um, that fight for me was one of my most significant wins, one of my br most brutal wins and one of my best performances in terms of who it was against. You know, I, yeah. I, I took Lucian Butte zero. I beat an unbeaten fighter for another world title. And the manner in which I did it, it was, it was really explosive and really aggressive and quite brutal. And you would not have wanted to be on the receiving end of that pasting for any amount of money. And Butte, to be fair to him, he stood there, he took his licks, he never went over. He kind of went over as the ref was stopping it against the ropes. But what a tough guy. And um, that win for me set me back up and charged me again for the rest of my career, which was obviously a Kessler rematch, Groves 1, Groves 2 at Wembley. Yeah. Uh, I missed out you I missed out Yusuf Matt there because that was the first mark time fight that I had in years. Mm -hmm. You know, um Yusuf Matt, who was who was actually not a bad light light heavyweight. No. He, he just went the distance with Tavoris Cloud mm -hmm. in a half decent fight. And I thought, you know, he might present a few problems, but I went in there and just, just folded him in half with a body yeah. shot in round three, I think it was. They say fortune favors the bold. Carl, you're definitely a bold man. I taking taking that that um, that Butte fight after in the position that you're at, I know for me watching you during that time, that really opened my eyes. Like, wow, this guy is, is really special. And, and I was in my early thirties as well. I was early thirties and I just done the super six, you know, mm -hmm. I was thinking to myself, do I want to fight a 12 week, do a, go in a 12 week camp and fight nobody to prove that proves nothing. And then the, the Butte fight might not be there then. And then right. I might have to fight Ward again. And, 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 you know, for me to beat Ward, it's very, very difficult for me to beat Andre Ward. I think I would have had more chance of beating Andre Ward in Nottingham because mm. I'd have been so charged up. The performance that Fort Butte would have had a better chance of beating Ward in my head. But in reality, I might have just got outboxed easy and I might have walked onto more because I was a bit careless with my attacks. I was a bit crude with my, my, mm -hmm. my aggression. And Andre Ward's a quality fighter. So, yeah. again, you've got to take these opportunities. I took the Kessler fight when I flew under the ass cloud. Then I come back after losing to Ward. I took the Butte fight. And I was getting older and older. And by the time I'd finished the, the Yusuf Mack Kessler 2 rematch with Kessler rematch, Groves 1, Groves 2, I was getting on for 37 years old. I mean, mm. he had four more fights. 
all right, I've earned a right few quid because I'm on Sky pay-per-view, but if I never took the Butte fight, it could have been game over for me. I might have had one more fight, struggled. I might have fought James DeGale. There's a possibility of somebody like me losing to James DeGale on points. Very slim possibility. I reckon I'd have backed him up and smashed him to bits. Um, but, you know, if I'd have lost to someone like James DeGale at the end of my career, that would have been an absolute wounder for me. But I took my opportunities, got myself fit and strong for every single opportunity that was put in front of me. And uh, I feel I was um, justly rewarded in the end of my career because I got, I got, the, um, I got the accolade inside, the Wembley Stadium thing and the Kessler fight as well, the Kessler rematch at the O2. For me, that was amazing. That was Sky pay-per-view, 20,000 at the O2, Kessler rematch. So I avenged, I avenged the defeat. And um, I could have retired on the back of that and been probably really, really happy and satisfied. But we got the Groves saga, didn't we, at the end of my career, which mm -hmm. was uh, sure did. Real icing on the cake. Yeah. Speaking of, speaking of the, uh, the R-word retirement, um, I think I have a good idea of, of, of who's going to say what. But what, what are your thoughts, Darren, on, uh, on the retired life do you, do you ever think about what could have been or, or, or ever coming back or anything like that? Do you miss it? No. No. <laughs> no. Um, I'm so content. Uh, I'm still around uh, the fight game. You know, I, I do work with Matram. I'm um, at all the shows. Um, don't get me wrong. I'll always forever, like Carl, and most uh, professional sportsmen and women, we're extremely competitive. So, you know, nothing filled uh, that competitive nature like boxing, nothing's come close. Uh, so I'll always miss my arm being raised, but I'm just content. I'm, you know, uh, I think that's probably the worst thing you can be a, a, as a boxer is content because uh, if I compare myself now to um, the, the me who fought Daniel Gill, just, they're just two completely different people. If mm. I see clips of that fight, I, I can't believe it's me. You know, I'm just, I'm just soft now. <laughs> you know, there is nothing hard about me or tough about me anymore. That's what happens, doesn't it? You become civilized, and you do. You become like, yeah. I don't know about you, but I, I'll cry at certain movies, and I think, oh, <laughs> I've watched Armageddon twelve times. I've cried twelve times. Armageddon. <laughs> I think that's just having kids as well. When you've got kids and that, you soften up. But I know exactly what you mean. I think, I think with you as well, Darren. When you're injured, when you get bad injuries, like you, you yeah. hip, your hip injury. When, it, when it's so painful and so debilitating, like you can't go running. Because me and Darren was running in Castlebar County Mayor for my first defence. Um, actually, was that my first defence? No, that was my first No, it was your first world title, Pascal. yeah. That's Pascal. So I was there. And I can remember you and John O'Donnell like leaving me on the runs. But because you was leaving me on the runs, like you'd be like, what, 500 metres ahead of me. Mm. And he'd be slowly getting further and further away. I'd be trying so hard to catch them for this 40-minute run. I'd absolutely blow a gasket. I was blowing out of all quarters. <laughs> like my lungs were on fire, but that got me so fit and so ready for my world title fight. But later on in my career, say like for after the gross fight, when I was thinking about fighting again, I was thinking about fighting Chavez Jr. My Achilles tendon on my right foot, my lower back's always popping out of place. Yeah. My elbows when I'm missing with shots in the gym. You know, the aches and pains and the niggles as you get into your 30s. You get to a point where you're just, you're covered in duct tape, you're strapped up, you've got, Deep heat on your hands, you, your lower back sore, you're having cortisone injections everywhere. I had five operations when I was fighting. One on my nose, two, one on my knee, two on my hands, three on my hands. And it just gets to the point where you just think, I'm not enjoying this anymore. I can't mm -hmm. be asked to fucking warm up for 25 minutes to go on a 25-minute run. It's like an old cart horse. So when you look back and say, 
am I glad I retired or do I miss it? Yeah, you miss it. You miss the accolade. You miss the buzz of fighting, the natural euphoria and the natural endorphins that release before and after the fight and how great you feel for two, three weeks after the win. You're realistic and you know yourself, actually. If I go back in the gym, I've got to get up in the morning and do a morning run. Mm -hmm. Then I've got to go and spar Darren Barker. Or I've got to go and spar, you know, he's, he's thinking I've got to go and spar Carl Frotch. I could not think of anything worse than <laughs> sparring with Tony Bellew. Tony Bellew tries to knock my head off when he's sparring me. And I don't mind because I'm trying to knock his fucking head off as well. <laughs> it's just how it is. Yeah. Um, but I could not imagine wrapping my gloves, wrapping my hands up with a bandage, putting the tape on, looking over the gym thinking, Tony Bellew, looking at me. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> thinking to myself, we're probably going to have 10 rounds today if I don't get, if I don't get chinned. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's just a horrible thought. It's horrible, really, when you look back on it and you think about what you did. But at the time, you enjoy it. We're, mm -hmm. diff we're different people. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Once you retire, yeah. you become a different person. And I think that's why it's dangerous, people thinking about coming out of retirement. You've got Tyson now and about fighting Hollifield and they feel like they're relighting this old flame. But I think they'll, they'll soon realise, if they don't realise already, that once they start letting punches go in, in fight conditions, you absolutely just blow a gasket in about a minute because I have little play fights with my son and my older brother and I hit the bag now and again. And I, how we used to do 12 three-minute rounds with them little 10-ounce gloves as well because them gloves are small and they hurt. Mm -hmm. it's, it's madness. It's madness. And I talk about coming out of retirement and I have a little bit of a go at Joe Calzaghi now and again. And to be honest, a lot of it's tongue-in-cheek. He never fought me. It was, he went on and beat Roy Jones and Hopkins. And the Hopkins win was a fantastic win as well, by the way, because yeah. Hopkins did after, after Joe Calzaghi beat him. But because he didn't fight me, because he vacated the belt rather than fight me, I can always say, yeah, he vacated it. and give him a bit of shit. But I'm always, it's a bit of a joke. I'm messing around. I have a bit of a laugh of it. He had a fantastic career. But if he turned around and said, come on now, let's have a fight, I'd be thinking, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any of this. Yeah. I'd probably say, no, you know what? Let's leave it. I was only joking. Because the reality is, we're not going to be coming out of retirement after we've... Um, had the careers we've had. And when we look back on our careers, and Darren, Darren probably say the same, we had great careers, we reached great heights, we probably overachieved, or I certainly overachieved, to what I thought I could do. I think my toughness and my fitness got me a lot of wins. Uh, where Darren, he's got the skill and the ability, and he mm -hmm. talked about his toughness earlier. I can't say Darren's not tough, but I think I was exceptionally tough. I could really take mm -hmm. a punch, and I really wouldn't quit. You know, when I was on my back foot and down and, and, and bruised and battered, I would get up and try and walk through walls. Like when I was behind against Jermaine Taylor. And, you know, certain fights, I just think to myself, I just keep going and keep going. And I think I've got the best out of my career. And there's, there was nothing more for me to give, really. It's very refreshing to speak to you two champions who are retired and, and happily retired and also are, are happy with your careers because I think a lot of guys don't, can't look back and, and feel that same way. They feel like they missed opportunities, didn't take certain chances that they should have. You both seem like guys who took all the chances that were necessary to reach your, your absolute potential, and I applaud you guys. Thank you so much for, for the brilliant no stuff. Problem. I just want to know. Pleasure. You're dead right what you said. I just want to give Eddie Hearn a bit of credit here because, of course. you know, Eddie Hearn turned around Darren's career or, or given the opportunities, and he did for me as well. I mean, I'd a, I'd a, I was having a great career. I was already world champion when I met Eddie Hearn. But the opportunities he gave me since I met him and then getting me back on Sky Sports and then we got back on Sky Pay-Per-View and, you know, what he did, did as a promoter to say that, I know he had his dad helping him out and he could ask his dad advice. Eddie Hurd is very innovative and very forward-thinking, and he's got a great mind and a great promotional skill. I don't know what it is, 
but he's a very talented man. And it, it doesn't pain me to say it because I like Eddie Hearn. I just want to give him massive credit because I think Darren will agree with me. Yeah, we never certainly. met the man that is Eddie Hearn. We would have never had the finish to our careers that we had. Darren would have never had that IBF title. And mm. I would have never had, and I'm going to say it, I'm going to say it. I would have never had 80,000 fans at Wembley Stadium. <laughs> it would not have happened. You've got to give him the credit for that. Um, so, yeah, I've got that in now anyway. Well, you, you got it in, 80,000 at Wembley Arena. Um, one of the, the, the reasons of the rebirth of, of the stadium fights in, in, in England is, is the man right here, uh, Carl Frotch. Awesome, awesome stuff. Thank you guys so much. Carl, what is, what is the name of your, uh, your podcast that you just started? Frotch on Fighting. Watch on fighting, guys. Check that out. It's, uh, I'm sure it's going to be extremely interesting. Guys, thank you so much, Darren. We appreciate it. Taking the Thanks, time. Chris. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Thank you guys so much. Take care, gentlemen. Cheers, Cheers out, Rob. Take care.